1: Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas
0: Theological Seminary.
2: Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Darrell Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our topic today is Global Perspectives Being Focused on India. And our guest is Timothy Muthala, who uh, is in in India. And where specifically in India are you? Uh,
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, I am in the southern part of India uh, in a state called Telangana. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm in the capital city of that state, which is called as Hyderabad. Okay. Uh, so uh, probably some of you might have come across uh, people from my state uh, in the IT sector. Usually there would be one. So <laughs> it's, it's quite popular for uh, IT industry.
2: So Hyderabad's located kind of in the middle of the country in the southern sector. Is that is that a fair description for where it's located? Uh,
1: yes, it's kind of uh, south uh, east I would say. Okay yeah south central they say yes south central
2: okay and and what do you do in india just just some personal stuff first um what do you what's your role in india
1: yeah right now uh, i'm teaching a couple of uh, uh, seminaries as an adjunct faculty i teach there twice in a week Mm -hmm. and then uh, the rest of the time i'm working on a Online theological education app for uh, pastors in local languages. Mm. So, so that's the major work I'm involved with.
2: Okay, so this is, that's a great transition. So let's let's start there. So first of all, and people pro- may or may not be aware of this, how large a country is India in population?
1: Wow. It's it's only second to China. Okay. Uh, in, India is uh, a 1.4 billion uh, populated uh, country. So, yeah, I think only we have China ahead of us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and which means that, um, what, one out of every
1: eight people maybe is Indian? Uh, true because yeah it's it's seven odd millions yeah, the of, the yeah. World. So of course probably yeah. seven or eight people yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: so uh, it's okay so that explains why cricket is so popular around the world uh we'll talk about that later um and uh and here's the thing here's i'll tell you a story before i ask this question you you'll get a chuckle out of it um uh at one point, of course, I go over to India on a regular basis to teach, and at one point I thought, you know, I'm going to sit down and see if I can learn the language that's spoken in India, other than English, of course, and uh, uh, what the national language is. And then I did my work and just figured out there is no such thing. Uh, there are many languages in India so um, just to give people a, a sense of what that is, um, what are some of the major languages across the entirety of the country?
1: Wow, that's a uh, probably a difficult question because we, we have more than 1,000 languages, okay. uh, which are listed as languages spoken by different ethnic groups. Uh, but 21 languages are counted as official languages in the country.
2: 21, uh, just 21.
1: Just 21. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, And the, the states are also divided according to the languages initially. Uh, hmm. So that's one criteria in which uh, the states were divided. Uh, yeah. Probably out of the twenty-one, I would bring it down to eight languages that are okay, more Okay, that popular. simplifies it significantly.
2: <laughs> Just eight languages yeah. you need to learn to get around in India. If you don't, if they can't use English, go ahead.
1: That's, that's true. So, Hindi is the most popular language uh, with almost—I uh, mean, I, I cannot think of the percentage, but. Uh, um, Almost all the states except few uh, states uh, probably are the exceptional, but uh, uh, most of the states would understand uh, the Hindi as a uh, language in the marketplace, I would say, uh, except two or three states which do not probably are exposed to uh, Hindi. But uh, official language, in a way, is a Hindi after English. So Hindi and English are the language in which Governments tries to uh, convey to the people across the nation. Uh, But even the local languages are very strong. So uh, local dialects are also used by the governments uh, uh, whenever they want to communicate. So after Hindi, I would say Bengali is another language. Tamil is another language. Telugu is my own native language, which is also on the top, like fourth uh, highest speaking uh, language. And then uh, Kannada is one. Uh, So Odia is another one. Okay. These are uh, some of the popular languages.
2: So you can't get into the country unless you can name the top eight eight languages of the country? Is that, uh, (laughs) I mean, so how much overlap is there between those languages? In other words, is, is there enough overlap between some of them that if you know one, you might be able to understand the other? Or are they really distinct languages?
1: Uh, one influence I can think of is the influence of the Sanskrit. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a time in Indian history where Sanskrit was very influential. So there is that influence of the Sanskrit on different languages, including Hindi and own language and others. There we can find some sort of similarities in vocabulary. Uh, but if you uh, really uh, pinpoint on particular languages, I think uh, uh, it's it's difficult. No, I don't think people would understand uh, one uh, people group would understand the other. So uh, they are distinct, except for the influence of the Sanskrit, I would say.
2: So if you didn't have any, I, I'm spending time on this because it's actually important. You know, people communicate culturally through their language and through their shared culture. That's and so when they don't share a language, that's that can be an issue. Um, so... Um, so if you didn't, if you hadn't had English and you didn't have Hindi, you would really have a mess, wouldn't you?
1: Yes, uh, except from the uh, city structure, I would say, or cosmopolitan regions, or the city capitals, state capitals, uh, where we have better education accessibility and uh, cultural. Uh, uh, I'm looking for a word that would uh, get us through. So uh, the cultural influence of uh, English and other languages is more seen in the city. So the, except in cities, uh, rest of the uh, towns and villages, I think it is very difficult to navigate with the Hindi and English. Yeah.
2: Interesting. Uh, So, so in an urban environment in India, you'd be okay. But uh, if you ventured out, then you'd have, issues in terms of interaction and that kind of
1: thing. Well said, well said, yes. Uh, Urban India is more uh, diverse in its uh, exposure to English and Hindi. So, yeah, it's better there.
2: So let's, um, uh, a couple of other demographic-like questions. Um, uh, uh, How? I guess I want to, the way I want to ask this is, since I'm assuming that languages connect to some degree to the various ethnicities that are a part of of India, so it, the ethnic the ethnic background of the country is as diverse as the language diversification. Is that would that
1: be fair to say? Absolutely, yes. Uh, I think language definitely has ethnic background uh, behind it. So, uh, yes, that's I think correct to say.
2: So, uh, uh, all this to say that. Uh, the Indian culture is a real uh, mix of a variety of cultures and backgrounds, variety of histories, et cetera, uh, that has been uh, a challenge. Uh, Let me add one more element to the equation, and I'm speaking as someone who knows very little about Indian history, Um, but that is there was a time, when India and what is now Pakistan were um, connected to each other is that correct yes uh, that's true and that and that separation happened what in the 1940s am I correct about that
1: yeah India won its or got its independence from the British Empire uh, in 1947 okay. by then uh, larger India included Pakistan and also on the other side uh, on the uh, eastern side we have bangladesh which okay was also i was part going to ask india, that next before. so good <laughs> so, so it was also part of india
2: so and part of that and what uh if i may what motivated that divi- division both with pakistan and bangladesh was that primarily
1: religious ethnic cultural a mix what what produced that it, it it is more on religious basis, it appears to be, uh, because uh, certain groups of people insisted on having uh, a nation uh, for the people who subscribe to Islam. So, uh, it yeah, I think it was done on religious basis.
2: So, I know that's the case with Pakistan. Is that also true of Bangladesh, that it's is- Islamic influence, or is it another religion?
1: Uh, Probably it was on the basis of. Uh, uh, I think there probably it was Bangla, uh, huh. uh, Bengal, and uh, there was. Uh, I don't remember exactly what's the reason. Probably I, I want to just step away from that.
2: Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. So he. So let me back up. So all. Now all this is important background because I'm actually working to this question I'm going to ask now, which is that. Um, it would be would it be fair to say that India, at least currently, sees itself as primarily a Hindu nation, uh, or is that an influence from a certain segment of India that currently has power? In other words, what's the re- what's the religious makeup of the nation is actually what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, uh, originally, if we go back to the Indian history, we we find uh, India to be. Uh, rather a group of small nations coming together. Uh, Each uh, geographical location was actually ruled by different kings. Uh, But the major consolidation came with the the rulers who came from the outside. Either it is from the uh, Mughal rulers from the Middle East, Persian Mughal rulers from the Middle East, or Uh, The rulers that came after uh, the Dutch Middle East, um, the Dutch and East Indian company uh, 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 rulers that have come. So they are the ones who actually consolidated India, which was before uh, a group of different nations ruled by different kings. Uh, If we go to the religious background of India, probably... uh, I would say Indian uh, Hinduism is also a difficult term to actually understand today because uh, people say, especially many scholars would say Hinduism, as it is uh, defined and described today, is much different from what it was earlier. Mm. Uh, in uh, Hinduism in itself is so diverse that... Uh, you cannot speak of Hinduism, but you have to speak about Hinduisms. Okay. Um, so it is so uh, diverse. So that's one uh, difficulty uh, that we have when we speak about Hinduism. Uh, Hinduism practiced in different ethnic groups or different cultural parts is much different from uh, some of the ways in which uh, people uh, claim that to be Uh, Hinduism so that's part of the problem Uh, but India as Hindu uh, nation I think is a uh, term that has been uh, uh, coming up uh, only in the recent times if I'm not wrong maybe from 1920s and 30s there was this movement that began by a group of people uh, who began to think and see India as a uh, Hindu Rastra or Hindu state. Uh, but before that, it's, it's difficult to see if if anybody saw India as a whole, as a Hindu nation. Uh, okay. but today, only a, a group of people who claim it, uh, 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 who want uh, to claim India for Hindus. Uh, I see the point behind that, why they say that, uh, uh, stating that uh, other religious groups have actually uh, invaded or came into India from other nations, but uh, but yeah, Hinduism as we see today and the popular Hinduism also probably was uh, made into India through Aryan invasion uh, is what people would say. Yeah, if you want me to expand on that, maybe we can. Uh, that's work. enough. Uh,
2: what, what I'm trying to do is to paint the picture of how complex the culture of India is that the church has to operate in. And uh, so let me ask one other background question, and that is uh, what are the major religions in India and kind of, if you can rank them in
1: size, if that's possible. Um, India is a land of uh, religions, we should say. Uh, uh, India was the birthplace of uh, some of the uh, religions Uh, If we include Hinduism, Hinduism is the largest religion, then Islam is the second largest religion, Uh, then probably is uh, uh, Sikhism, then comes Jainism, Buddhism, Christianity. Uh, These are uh, the major religions I I, I can think of, but uh, there is a presence of uh, Jewish settlement also in India uh, from the time before Christ, actually. Uh,
2: so yeah. so um, how uh, do I don't want to ask this? Um, so is uh, is the uh, influence of Hinduism significantly greater than those other religions, or are they about the same in number? Because you you mentioned four or five.
1: Yeah, uh, I think if we think about Jainism, Sikhism, and Buddhism, they they are more like a reaction to Hinduism. So. Uh, I, I would say Hinduism has predominant influence on Indian culture, for sure. Okay. We take and all the is, Hinduisms together.
2: And then is, is the concentration regional? For example, I think I've heard that Christianity, at least until recently, was much more uh, significantly populated in the Southern part of in, India than in the rest of India. So, um,
1: so that's true. That's true. I, I think, uh, uh, if we think about India as a whole, uh, the Christian population is more uh, uh, densely populated towards the south of the nation. Uh, Kerala is the uh, state with the highest Christian population in the south. And then uh, probably Tamil Nadu and Andhra also have a significant number of Christians. Uh, Apart from the South India, Northeast India is also Uh, populated with a heavily uh, Christian population. So, yeah. Uh, One of the reasons why this has happened that way is because uh, uh, much of the missionary work happened in the South. Uh, Traditionally, even Thomas also came to South India. One of the
2: apostles. Yeah. This is a very strong tradition that Thomas was the one who helped plant Christianity in India. Uh, let's talk about one of the, uh, I keep saying I've asked my last demographic question, but I keep thinking of new ones. So ne- so when we think of core cities in the South and some of these states um, that have significant Christian population, I'll think about Hyderabad. I'll think of Chennai. I'll think of uh, Bangalore. Um, are there other cities that belong in that list?
1: Yes, uh, Kerala is another state uh, I would add to that.
2: And does Kerala have a major city in it that reflects uh, reflects the state, or is it pretty much significant, it's, 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 significant across I think the it, state?
1: Yeah, it's across the state. I would say.
2: Uh huh. Okay.
1: Um,
2: all right. So that's <laughs> that. We tried to paint the landscape there, which is um, really. Um, a historic mix. I mean, if you want to think about a place that's a melting pot in some senses of um, of the East, um, India certainly qualifies. So, let's talk about Christianity and the Christian church for a second. Um, obviously, this is a huge challenge. Um, Christians are a minority in India, um, and uh, is there an estimate as to the percentage of Christians? We'll say it that way. Um in in India?
1: Yes. Uh, official statistics say uh, that there, is, there are only 3% of uh, the whole population. Out of 1.4 billion, it's only 3% uh, to 4% probably now. Uh, that's the official statistics about Christianity.
2: So I'm trying to think through what that would be. That's still um, several million believers, that, that, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, Forty million. Forty million. Okay. So 40 million Christians in a country of 1.4 billion, the numbers are, are large. Um, yeah. And of course, the challenge for the church or one of the challenges of the church, my understanding would be, is that um, you have a lot of people who lead churches and lead Christians, but they're not all significantly trained uh, to be pastors. Is that also a fair description of the situation in the country?
1: Yes, uh, when it comes to the leadership and the church uh, responsibilities, uh, definitely most of the pastors are not trained. Uh, They they believe that Lord has called them probably after they are saved uh, in a church. uh, Then usually they uh, stay under the pastor for some time. And then when they feel that they uh, are called for ministry, then based on whatever they have learned from the pastor, they will just replicate that uh, in ministry. But usually even that pastor is also uh, not a formally trained person. You, uh, so I think uh, Dr. Ramesh Richard mentions about only uh, 6% of the uh, people are uh, theologically trained and and in India, I would say uh, that is uh, fairly correct.
2: Okay, so so you've got two uh, significant challenges for the church in India. One is the fact that it is such a minority on the one hand, and the second is that the training of the leadership is um, a challenge on the other, I'll say it that way. I mean, I know, I mean, I'm aware of all kinds of schools spread across the country. Uh, but their reach is actually in pretty limited in some ways. And so uh, in terms of the total number of people who are leading churches and that kind of thing. Um, how? Uh, another strange question, perhaps. Well, let me do it this way before I ask that question. How, uh, how many denominations are we dealing with? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that we've got a real mix there as well.
1: Yeah, uh, I think uh, you you name any denomination that is present in India. Okay. Hundreds of denominations. um, Any dominant uh, ones? Any dominant ones. It looks like the uh, charismatic Pentecostal movement uh, is growing large here, I would Mm -hmm. say. Uh, Baptists are big, and uh, the Anglicans are also uh, uh, quite a few. So, I would say maybe non-denominational people who who uh, don't claim to be part of any denomination are probably the highest in number. Hmm. And then probably the Pentecostal charismatic groups. And then comes the mainline, the so-called mainline churches like Baptist, uh, Anglican uh, and uh, Methodist and so on and so forth.
0: Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com.
2: And how networked are these different groups or they pretty much operate separately?
1: Uh, You you mean how they operate together? Yes, how they
2: operate together.
1: Oh, wow. That's a... uh... A good question. I think uh, usually they uh, try to stay away from each other. Uh, uh-huh. It appears like, uh, as churches, at least people feel that they belong to uh, a certain denominations, so they they try to be uh, 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 kind of uh, show their allegiance to their uh, particular denomination. So. Yeah, I think the borders are quite strong at certain places. Uh, probably in the cities, it is a slight lesser because of the exposure to different churches. But I think in the rural India, definitely the boundaries are very rigid. People who, who would not go to the other. Uh, <laughs>
2: yeah. So uh, another issue that often happens in, in countries like India, it seems to me, is that the role of the pastor takes on a social function and has a kind of certain cultural power, I'll use that word, um, that makes the position attractive um, to pursue. Uh, and even though Christians are a minority, it gives them a certain status in the Christian community, et cetera. It comes with certain authority. It represents a way of exercising a certain kind of control, if I can say it that way. And so all these things are a part of uh, of the mix, which adds an element of if someone's untrained in Christian circles, then the potential for abuse in the office is significant. Is that is that a challenge in India? I think that's the way I'll
1: ask it. Yes, it is. I I think because of the lack of training, we see problems at different levels, uh, not only with respect to teaching and uh, equipping the church, uh, but also socially we carry the baggage of caste system uh, that is so prevalent in India, probably uh, that's one of the background questions that was supposed to be
2: there. Yeah, um, you're right. <laughs> I actually had planned to bring it up and I forgot to. So I'm glad you've mentioned this. Uh, yeah, talk, a little, talk a little bit about that's another dimension besides the mix that we have and the, uh, the ethnicities and the way in which the country was put together um, uh, and the religious mix, which is its own challenge. So language, languages and languages, plural and religions, plural. Okay, let's talk about the caste system. And, and at the, if you'll tag on to the end of that, what's happened r- more recently with the Dalits and Christianity?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, Indian caste system uh, has been there for uh, several uh, centuries. But uh, according to one estimate, they say it was codified in a way, that is existing today some thousand years ago. Uh, but before that, the caste system was not so rigid. Uh, it was more in the lanes of uh, uh, the profession that people practiced. But as uh, it it progressed further, it, it became more identified with a, a, a person born into a certain community. So uh, there are four predominant castes uh, in Indian caste system. Uh, the, uh the brahmins the kshatriyas the uh, uh peasants and then uh, uh then comes uh, uh the untouchables or uh, the ones who are uh, uh they are not untouchables but they are the ones who are Uh, The below ones. There are also other group of people who don't even fit into this category. So they are called Avarna or those who don't even fall into the uh, caste system. Uh, So these four groups have been part of the uh, society and uh, uh, predominantly the first three classes have been exercising kind of uh, leadership in the society at various levels, the priestly class, the warrior class, and then peasant uh, or the business class. So these people were uh, controlling the society for ages. And then comes the uh, uh, the section of people who are expected to serve the above classes. Uh, so that's a brief.
2: Uh, yeah, that's, and so and and just to be clear, if you're in those bottom layers, um, I, I, I'm not sure quite how to ask this, so I'll just do the best I can. You're actually not viewed as being, I'll say it this way, you can correct me, as human as the other classes. Is that, is that a fair characterization?
1: Yes. Uh, if you fall out of these four castes, uh, four groups, then uh, they, they didn't have any caste or they didn't have any recognition. So uh, people would say uh, they were treated as if uh, they were not even human. So mm-hmm. that's that's the level of discrimination you see. Uh, so if you are in the caste system, the, the fourth level of people were treated badly. Uh, uh, as you uh, come inversely proportional, then yeah. uh, the people who uh, are not considered as part of these four are even more uh, treated inhumanly. They they're mm-hmm. they not even treated as, as human beings. Uh, if I want to connect it to the uh, Christianity now. Uh, That's why I started this word with uh, this discussion, especially on cast with, unfortunately, because uh, when Christianity came to India through missionaries, uh, primarily it it attracted the uh, people who are considered to be untouchables or Mm -hmm. people who are considered to be outcasts. Uh, who were not part of other castes or who were really treated bad in the society. They were the ones who who were attracted to the gospel first, and they uh, openly and uh, outrightly uh, embraced the gospel. And uh, ever since, uh, that stigma uh, of Christianity being associated with the lower classes or lower castes, uh, just remained that way. Uh, things have changed uh, from there uh, to now, uh, but not significantly. Still, we 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 hear uh, now and then if 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 a person is uh, a Christian, then probably uh, people would assume that they are from certain castes or from the Avarna or from the uh, class uh, that is. Uh, once untouchable
2: and so go ahead uh, so so when we think about the Dalits which I, I am I right that the Dalits are more in the northern part of India than they are in the southern part of India they spread across the country.
1: They are spread across the country. So all these castes, all the four castes that I mentioned, and the untouchables, uh, all of them are spread across uh, the country. Uh, You you find them in uh, almost uh, in every village. You'll have the four uh, classes. Uh, uh, So probably the the number might vary. Usually the Brahmins are lesser in number. The first uh, top people are lesson number, but uh, yeah, Dalits are spread across the nation.
2: So here, here's, I guess, my last question, because we're running out of time. Uh, and this has been great, uh, Timothy. Um, uh, what do you, if you were to list the challenges for the church, okay, and we've already listed, I think, some of them, the fact that it's a minority, the fact that it's got, that there is a dominating culture that has a long history, that's a part of the identity of the nation, Uh, uh, the variety of languages and cultures that Christianity has to cope with in the country, the way in which uh, the Christian denominations um, operate, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, to themselves. Uh, Besides that, if that wasn't enough, uh, what other challenges exist for the church today? And are there particular challenges that exist? Because my understanding is, is that the level of pressure on the church has increased significantly more recently.
1: Yeah, uh, out of all the challenges uh, with the uh, rise of uh, new political movement that is uh, more tilted towards uh, uh, Hindu religion uh, that came into power uh, to, I mean, almost a decade ago, uh, they always had the emphasis on Hinduism and Hindu state even before that, but uh, but in the recent times that pressure or that color has been uh, kind of uh, decimated into the society and that is causing a, a problem to many Christians across the uh, nation. Uh, Yeah, that's the biggest challenge I see, especially with respect to inter-religious tensions that uh, we see across the nation. On one side, uh, as a democratic nation, we are given the privilege of practicing our own religion. Uh, But on the other side, there is this uh, new uh, uh, ideology that is being promoted saying uh, an Indian, should be a Hindu. So they're trying to uh, replace uh, the the words with each other, which is uh, a a problem because India has always been a a nation with several cultures, with uh, several uh, religions uh, living here, coexisting uh, in this place. So that's a big problem that we are facing right now, and I see that it will continue to Uh, uh, grow as we move forward uh, 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 in ministry. So that's one major problem I would say. The second major problem I would see is within the Christians, I think uh, uh, there is, as we already mentioned it, there is a lack of uh, uh, theological training uh, to the people who are really working uh, at the grassroots level. So that's one issue that probably uh, needs to be addressed uh, as we move forward. And if we, uh, even though uh, Indian Christians are only three to four or five percent of the total population of India, but still that is significant number. Uh, and uh, to cater to such a huge number, we need more leaders, more resources. Uh, uh, are needed. So that's one of the challenges that I see going forward uh, to equip the uh, already customs in India. Uh, yeah, these are the two major challenges I see, but uh, COVID has brought in uh, new challenges with uh, digital uh, necessities. In Much of the rural India is not digitally prepared for such a uh, change. So That's another new dimension that we are seeing today.
2: So, there's an intense uh, intensification of the isolation the pandemic has brought that um, because these churches are not able to work at a digital level, um, leave them very, very isolated.
1: Yes, Uh, I I think uh, many people were isolated because of this new situation, and people had to migrate to uh, places especially to their native places from where they came from uh, so this has definitely disrupted uh, the ministries and I'm been speaking to a, a pastor recently and he was saying um, uh, his his church is more located in an urban setting but it, it it's a place where there is, there are certain companies located so most of the people during the pandemic have migrated from this region to their uh, villages. So uh, they are left with very few people in the church now. So,
2: oh, wow. Um, let me ask you one final question, uh, at least in this go around. And that is, um, what about the atmosphere of the communities within the churches? Um, and I guess my question would go something like this. When you think about grace and legalism, um, uh, within the church communities, how much of an appreciation is there of grace and how much legalism exists in the churches in India?
1: <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, you asked the question, which is very broad for sure. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah I would say uh, it, it would be more on a legalistic note uh, mm-hmm. than uh, a grace-based, uh, uh, so trying to uh, give people do's and don'ts and uh, a certain uh, groups of people trying to uh, kind of uh, uh, hold the positions in the church and trying to control, uh, even caste system is played uh, in certain... Caste, uh, That's actually
2: why uh, I asked the question, is because the influence of the caste system would be open to that kind of a move.
1: Very true. So oh, the, the cultural nexus or the whatever is happening in the society is also uh, uh, prevalent in the church, sadly, which, which is not supposed to be the case. But you, oftentimes you see that's what is prevailing. You, you think about marriages, you think about certain uh, functions, uh, 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 house dedications or things like that. Uh, immediately, you see that color uh, of a uh, uh, certain uh, uh, shade of their cast coming into play. Uh, I would say uh, that is the case uh, uh, that is prevailing, but uh, there are some good new movements. Uh, there, there are good movements that uh, try to overcome those barriers. Uh, but I think we have a long way to go with respect to those things.
2: Interesting. Well, I mean, Timothy, I want to thank you for uh, joining us on the table and kind of giving us a global perspective on India and helping people who may not know very much about the country at all, uh, a glimpse of what's going on uh, there. Um, and so I want to just thank you for for speaking with us. And I want to thank you for uh, our audience for joining us on the table today. And please do subscribe to the show uh, on your favorite podcast app and leave us an honest review. These uh, This helps us to have more people discover what we're doing uh, with the table and with these conversations. And we hope you'll join us again next time on the table where we discuss issues of God and culture.
1: Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.
2: This episode was brought to you in part by the Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians.
1: Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.